You're listening to Ramble with Intent. I'm your host, Lisa Saban-Smith, visual strategist, advocate, ambition guide, and public speaker. I'm here for the dreamers, the doers, and all of the possibilities in between. Through my experiences as a world-class athlete, coach, graphic designer, wife, parent, and all the other life experiences that we have. And the amazing stories with my incredible storytellers, we get to connect how advocacy is not that far off in our everyday lives. Let's ramble. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Ramble with Intent. Today, I am interviewing Erin Daniel of Bread and Butter Wealth. This lady is incredible in how she teaches people to work with their money story, step away from the past and look to the future to see how we can have money appreciate for us while we appreciate our dollars and understand that they are methods and pathways to a life that we want to live and that we know is well lived. Erin talks about different ways to view things, upbringings, conversations within the household around money and the importance of that. So as we go forward into this, understanding that knowing your money story is also knowing a way to advocate for yourself and being able to have that communication and being able to openly express what you desire for your finances is another way of representing your desires for your future, for yourself, for your loved ones, and for the community around you. All right, friends, let's dive in and learn more about money and our money story and how we can make things work for us. Yeah, Erin, I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm so thankful that you're here to talk about finance and kind of just make it so it's not so icky feeling, and especially for women. And your company, Bread and Butter Wealth, has really helped open up my eyes and I know it's helping impact other women as well. Um, and I'm certainly work with men too, but, um, right now I can tell that your demographic is, is mostly women. You speak to us on social media, uh, Mm -hmm. you connect with us and it's, and so how about, tell us more about how you're choosing to impact women and their perspective on finances. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, I, I love working with women. I love, I am a strong, I am a strong believer that when women have money, our homes are stronger, our communities are stronger and money. The phrase have money is just like the number is one thing, but when they have confidence about their money or they know their numbers, the mood changes and relationships change and how we engage with one another changes because there's such a competitive mindset, especially within women. Yeah. And then you bring in feelings of insecurity with regards to a topic like money. And there's even more comp- competition within women. Yeah. And, and then that flows into um, husband and wife relationships as well, because we bring those insecurities into the conversation. And we've been raised to think that we should all know this. Mm-hmm. it's kind of like health and fitness I feel like we like we we've dealt with money our whole life we should it should just be normal and, so, yet, and yes. yet there's so many components because we only really have dealt with the very top surface of money and unless you're in a household where they actually dove into even budgeting and how mm-hmm. to have 
a teenager walk through proper budgeting, not budgeting because I want to buy a car, yeah. long-term habitual budgeting is still totally a lost concept on, I would probably guess 99% of us. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we have this vehicle that we use to exchange our energy for things that we want, but we, we have allowed it to control our emotions and our mindset and to be in charge rather than us saying, okay, you know what? There's, there's a lot of noise around this vehicle. Yeah. How do we remove the noise and get it down to the basics mm-hmm. and say, okay, let's focus on this topic like budgeting yeah. and build on that. Or even the vulnerability to enter a conversation and say, I don't get that. Where are you getting that number from? Yes. And how, or how do you do that? And mm-hmm. being okay with, with acknowledging that we don't all have to know everything. Yeah. And just because it, we're saying the number 800 doesn't mean that we can all, we're all picturing it differently. Mm-hmm. Some might be picturing it in one account. Some are picturing it in another account. So all of these things kind of s- created the foundation for why I wanted to start bread and butter wealth mm-hmm. and why I wanted to create an, envi- an environment where women can come and be very welcome at the table and at the in the conversation and lead the conversation and that that glazed over look i saw it way too many times in meetings in my past career and i don't like it cuz it's mm-hmm. you're your biggest advocate for your money yeah. and yeah. one size doesn't all fit it doesn't fit all so to to create an environment where we can say okay what are your needs what are your questions mhm and and that's why I've geared it so much to women because I feel like there's there's just exponential growth that can come from that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you you you've kind of touched on your why, but where did this love of numbers and money and finances start for you? Mm-hmm. So I so my dad was in finance. He was, he ran his own insurance business. So I've always kind of watched the entrepreneur mindset with, from him. And I, I loved it. I loved learning and trying to grasp like what it was that he did. Yeah. Even at a young age, I remember being like, well, that's his title, but what does it actually mean? (laughs) And, and the, like, so, and all that insurance, life insurance entails, um, and so that was kind of the the first step and then i real i my first real job like i babysat a lot when i was a kid and then my first real job was working as a cashier at oh. a grocery store and then i um got promoted into the front end office so i was ca- counting money and working with money and just the uh, the importance of how money, the mindset of money, right? Even on my post the other day, I said like the, we often fall into this trap that money is the root of all evil, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's the love of money. So how, so as I kind of grew, got older and matured in my passions, like this is, this is fascinating. I love people. I love being in community with people and I love coaching them. Mm-hmm. And 
So then it just seemed like, and then I, as I was going to school, I got into investments and then that opened up a whole exciting realm of like what all, what this world is and how this, how we as investors can benefit in a world that we're ta- told is managed by, is controlled by fund managers and all of that. So then that kind of dove me into that world. And I was like, this is, I love it all. I love the, the opportunity that we can, and the problem solving that comes from it. Oh, so awesome. I think all of those aspects kind of created my, where I am today. But. That's awesome. And it's, um, I think you touched on it quick, quickly, but it's, it's understanding how you can make your money work for you rather than just working for your money. And I mean, in the name of mindset, that's a huge shift when you can start to identify like I have these finances, but how is it going to actually work for me to my advantage? It Mm -hmm. opens up doorways. It makes things possible. I mean, if you're a philanthropist at heart, then you've got to have that money working for you so that you can continue to give in that altruistic mode. And, and yeah, I think I think we're also starting to really see that greed is actually the root of all evil. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I love being able to be in these conversations with people where they're like, it's not, it's not that I want more money for me. It's that I want to be able to teach, expand, coach, give, have more time for other things to be able to help the world become the place that I know it can become. Mm-hmm. And uh, So actually I'm privileged to be able to in, be in your uh, release to receive money mindset program right now. And we just had their first day, but uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing how it evolves and expands because I know in the past, I've had a very strong money mindset as a former athlete there was this weird messed up pride around I can survive off of, you know, $2,000 a month with the mortgage, with food, with not working anywhere else, with, you know, all these other expenses. And it, it becomes a really messed up concept that I don't need more. I know how to, I know how to be frugal. I know how to thrift and, and save. And there's like, yeah, that's good. Thrift and save. But don't let it define you either. And so it's taken a long time to be able to get out of that. And probably only in the last six months, I've finally realized, okay, how am I going to get my money to work for me so that Mm -hmm. I can use it for the time, the donations, the whatever else it may be that I know I can do and I want to do, but I don't have the financial backing to make that possible. Mm Mm-hmm. And to build on that, I think that's another reason why money conversations are so important Mm -hmm. because like the athlete world that they're bragging about living on such a small amount and not actually talking about how or why or um, what their, what the downside or the, like the pros and cons of that. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the coin, we've got, um, people living way beyond their means yes. and they're they're not talking about well you know what all of these amazon packages i've actually i'm going to be paying 20 percent premium on them because i've put them all on my credit card yeah and just being honest about that so that we can all gauge okay well 
there's pros and cons to both mm -hmm. and how it shows how it helps us all get off the treadmill of trying to compete with something that we don't really know the underlying yeah. purpose of, or the underlying tools of. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw that you worked, uh, like 15 some years in the finance industry. Yes. So I was at, yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I started, basically started my career at RBC Dominion Securities. And so that's the investment side of the Royal Bank and spent most of my career there, transitioned to National Bank Financial just before I went on my third mat leave okay. and decided to switch to bread and butter wealth. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. I learned a ton in that world, having some great friends from that world. It is, and it's an important it plays an important role mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of benefits that it adds. And, um, but there's also the reason I started bread and butter was because there's so, there's lots of great knowledge and, um, coaching services or opportunities that come from being in that, being clients there, mm -hmm. but there's minimums in place. Mm. And so those, it, it's how much more money can people who have already made a pretty good foundation, how much more can they make? And it's helping them make more. And it's great. They're accomplishing their goals, but I wanted to build bread and butter well so that I could help people who weren't at that starting point, mm -hmm. who didn't have minimum that couldn't meet the minimum. Yeah. And yeah. And so then, and still get quality coaching and um, tools in a safe or in an environment where they knew who they were talking to a lot of the, because that's the benefit of that world is that you've got, um, you're working with an advisor and a team, right? Yeah. So the clients are always interacting with the same people. They know the relationships are key. Mm -hmm. And then for people who aren't quite up to that minimum, they're lacking relationships, they're lacking trust. Yes. Yeah. Because they, there's so much turnover, naturally turnover in the, yeah. in retail banking system oh absolutely i think like my husband's business company uh his business account has had a new advisor i swear every six months yeah. and it's insane and we're like why yeah why are your people moving around so much because this is not giving you a good impression like we're not having a good impression on you but it's yeah. the nature of the beast unfortunately too so yeah. So we, we, like for us, we, we personally are outside with someone else. Um, thankfully no minimums, which, yeah. makes it, uh, or at least makes it so that you don't feel like it's a world that you is unattainable. And exactly. when you remove that sense of unattainable for people, then, then they, it opens up so much more as to like, okay, well, what's possible now? How can mm -hmm. I make $10 a month become more than that, more than the 120 in 12 months from now? Mm -hmm. So um, let's work on, let's chat mindset. How, cause a lot of that is mindset. So how do you work with people based on the mindset of money? Because I think since probably the eighties, mm -hmm. uh, we developed a very um, inflated 
maybe mindset on money. And like you said, people are either scrounging or living well beyond their means, just trying to keep up with the Joneses and the social pressures that we seem to think are there. Um, so let's work with that. How do you, how do you help people identify the mindset issue? And then how do you help them move through it? Mm -hmm. So mindset is, is key in building, building a proper money story. Mm -hmm. When you have, when you know your mindset and that's, um, so first I like to chat with people about what, what are the statements that have been flowing through your mind? Mm -hmm. So where, and this could be, I like to call it Marie Kondo, your mindset covered, like get a sheet of paper and write everything down that comes to mind when you see the word money or when you hear the word money. And some of those are statements that you've been telling yourself. Some of them are statements that you've heard. Mm -hmm. Some of them are statements and they could be statements that come like our money story started when we were sitting at the dinner table as a kid. Yeah. And hearing, and sometimes it wasn't even the word being spoken, but you could feel the tension Mm -hmm. or at the grocery store. Yeah. When, and so it's when the red grapes, (laughs) we can't afford those red grapes. And, and I don't, this is like, part of this could be globalization. Part of this could be part of my upbringing, but I never realized there were red and orange peppers. Oh, and yeah, you only got green peppers as a kid. Yes, yeah. only at green yeah. peppers and iceberg lettuce. Yeah, you and know, like, I'm a grocery store kid, so I grew up in the grocery store. My parents owned one, and so you're talking about, like, cashier to being in the office and so on. I'm like, I remember all of those days, but I even had to talk with Hadley because she's like, well, can we have these? And I said, it's triple the price right now because they're out of season, whereas mm-hmm. normally... It would like when I grew up, there was maybe red peppers, green peppers, red peppers were only so often greens were always in abundance and there were three different kinds of apples. And like there was the produce counter alone, let's not even talk about the rest of the store was significantly smaller than what it is now. And that's based on, yeah, globalization and demand and so forth. But cost, cost was always a conversation in my household especially Mm -hmm. around food, but we also received the food conversation from our patrons of the grocery Mm -hmm. store. Yes. And so I absorbed a lot of that around food. Yes. Which can be very toxic as well. My in-laws own a grocery store. Yeah. So my husband grew up in the grocery store world and, um, and so my in-laws still own that and hearing the conversations or the comments on social media that people, um, like just the, the lack of compassion for everybody building a business. Yeah. Yeah. Zero understanding of the back end and the overhead and exactly milk. We never made money off of milk. No, no. Still don't probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Still don't. Yeah. But, um, so those, money so diving into what has been lingering Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm a Christian and I grew up in a Christian family so that brings in its own level of Mm -hmm. how how do you give how do you have a generous mindset while still um 
planning for the future. Yeah. And living within your means too. And living within your means and how the, are we called to sell everything and give it all away? And all of those mindsets that kind of were pulled out of context yeah. and all actually come back to a heart issue. Okay. Rather than the actual practice of selling everything, giving it all away. Yeah. It's always the heart. So, um, so looking at these mindset mindsets and how, um, how they are controlling our heart today and how, how to find that balance between running your money story with, from the heart and running it from a place of logic mm-hmm. and finding the balance so that they partner each other. Yes. To create the, the money story that you want. And I think we often forget that aspect of it as well. So that's another thing I start to, I try and walk clients through is after we've kind of dived into the money mindset package or mindset focus and cleared out all the toxic statements yeah. Yeah. and put back in only statements that you want to tell yourself. Yeah. And a lot of, I am statements. I, I am a woman that, that looks at my bank account regularly. Yeah. I am a woman that spends intentionally. Mm-hmm. I'm a woman that chooses value over price. Yes. And so, and I am a woman that is okay treating myself to something that I really, really that really excites me yeah. versus, but knowing when something doesn't excite me. Yeah. Yeah. And, a lot of psychology connected there too, right? Yeah, exactly. So kind of focusing on that and then saying, okay, what, what do you want your money story to look like? Where, what are your dreams? Mm-hmm. We're told that everyone should have a five bedroom house with four bathrooms and <laughs> a luxury car and kids in all of these activities. And you should dress, buy clothes from here and like all of these components but that just keeps us on the treadmill and we keep running and we run and we run and we don't know why we're running yeah oh yeah then we get so frustrated and that's when I think a lot of tension also forms within marriages Mm -hmm. because both people are on the treadmill running and they're not sure why they're not getting ahead and they're not sure where where their money is going, but they don't know what their values are. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so by, and you mentioned relationships and that instantly made me think of like, so, I mean, we have a handful of households and mine's probably one as well, where the one partner has a specific money mindset and the other partner has a totally different one and learning how to work together with that or find the bridge between to be mm-hmm. able to work in collaboration with each other rather than I don't know fighting against each other um that's a huge challenge do you do you work with that as well with your clients yes definitely because there's a lot like anything in marriage we all bring our own money stories and we all bring our own ideas of how it should unfold and our own strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. so how can we get those strengths? How can we utilize each other's strengths? Yes. And often we approach money story, our money conversations when tensions are high. Yep. 
usually from some other catalyst. Totally. Yeah. And then tensions are high and finger pointing starts and blame game starts. Yeah. And where if money conversation started with, from a place of like curiosity, like, would you rather go on a big trip every two years or go on five littler trips? Yeah. Would you rather live like in a small house and travel Mm -hmm. or a big house and be home more? Mm -hmm. And just those, would you rather conversations? And I even play those with my kids as well, because it, it brings, it's an easy way to bring money topics in without, without it being intimidating, with there not being a right or wrong answer. Yeah. You get to see where people's hearts and passions are and you get to build on that. So then you can take those kind of those conversations and be like, okay, well, so if that's, let's build on that. If that's your goal, if you'd rather us do one big holiday Mm -hmm. and say the other couples person's like, no, I would rather do little holidays. Well, how do we balance how do we allocate enough money to holidays Mm -hmm. that both people win or how do we make it make sense and design it so that they both, everybody feels like they're on the same page and they're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And like they're being heard, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge component is just to be heard and understood or at least attempted to be understood in whatever component or aspect of a relationship we're talking about, right? Exactly. And more often than not, money, couples just think money conversations revolve around the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's a hard time to remove the noise and be able to feel heard. Yeah. Because again, that $800 looks different. Absolutely. And it could be used differently too. Totally. Um, so yeah. by, by actually sitting down and saying, okay, where, where do you want to go? What are your priorities? Yeah. What, um, like, what do you, and, and there's the psychology of trying to think big, trying to think long-term mm-hmm. when you actually start when, so your brain can't connect you to saving for your yourself from 20 years from now no it's very hard (laughs) very hard and it thinks you're saving for a stranger yeah so there's no care (laughs) there's no care yeah why do you want to why would you give up that purchase today yeah protect that person 20 years from now how do you work with that so there's an exercise where you start picturing like picture who you are picture what you look like. Yeah. Picture where, so how old your, your daughter is 20 years from now. Yeah. What your spouse looks like 20 years from now. And so you start building that person and that community in your mind. Okay. Like, okay, well, what, what are some of, um, so you might even bring some of your family genetics into play. Yeah. What, what are the risks? What are what, yeah. potential issues? All of those things too. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
And then what do, what am I going to love doing? Like, am I, what do I, what do I want to be doing? You're probably still going to be swimming. You're probably. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I have a picture of the most glorious view of the top like 4,000 a night um, unit at our favorite resort in Mexico overlooking the beach. So maybe that's where I'm going to (laughs) be. Yes. Yeah. So like, so then think about what kind of build out what you, who that person is. Yeah. And so then when you're trying to save, you're able to actually, you've built a friend in that person. Yeah. You've built um, emotions. You've built, like you're able to picture and then you want to begin taking care of that person. Yeah. Because that $20 shirt today. Not worth it. Not worth it. It could grow to be a lot more for that person. Yeah. And yeah. I love that because then that also feeds into, let's say you're a um, environmental health uh globally minded person where, I mean, we're seeing this fast fashion issue that's cropping up. Um, I mean, it's been around for decades, but now it's in our faces. And so it also becomes a different way of presenting, you know, thrift shopping or consignment Mm -hmm. shopping instead, because it might be a, you know, a $20 savings if you were to go and buy the same thing new. However, that $20, I mean, if you're a super strict and dedicated person to your future you could be like I know I saved $20 that $20 now goes into my future fund instead exactly exactly and that's that is the goal of saying okay I'm going to reallocate this money yeah and and this is a great time of year where you start to like make health changes or you start to maybe go on a fast from certain things. So say somebody's like the, going on a fast from alcohol consumption yeah. or even mocktails, right? Like the- Totally, the, it's still sugar. It's still sugar, <laughs> it's still like costly. Yeah. So um, so that money, when you're, you've also made the benefit of being like, you know what, my money story will be stronger. I'll be healthier. I'll be have more mental strength. Yeah. And my money story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So every week at the end of the week, you say, okay, I I would have put this much towards alcohol. Yeah. I'm going to, my goal right now is to reduce my debt or get my debt to a certain level. So I'm going to put it towards that exact payment towards that debt. Yeah. Or my goal right now is to focus, get my retirement account to where I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give that money to there. Yeah. Or, or our focus right now is going to, we've always wanted to do a big trip to Disneyland or whatever the family trip is. Mm-hmm. Make that the priority. Because once you have the yes of what you're actually working towards. Yes. You, you, you know. No to other things. Yeah. So yeah. the value, it's no longer value and price. It's it's value based on today versus your goals tomorrow. Absolutely. And it's so parallel to marketing concepts, truly, of finding your ideal client 
is you're picturing that person that you are partnering yourself with from here on out. Mm-hmm. And okay, your goals might change. That yeah. that picture of the person might change, but you've already set the foundation that is an easy tweak rather than having to start from zero all over again. Totally. Totally. It's like like the hardest, that first step is often the hardest. Yes. Right. Taking, making the change and seeing it. Sometimes the task feels so big. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so saying, no, I'm just going to make these little steps. I'm going to focus on the steps and the disciplines. Yeah. And know that over time, this process, the process will grow and all it will snowball into something bigger. Yeah. And yeah. so by taking the first step today, then the, and developing the disciplines and the convictions, then five years from now, if you, or three years from now, if you change your goal, you've still got the convictions and disciplines in place. Yes. Or if you've got a short-term goal, this is why I also encourage people to have short-term goals and long-term goals. Because mm-hmm. once you see the, once you accomplish that short-term goal, you get the dopamine hit. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're able to get momentum to, to create another short-term goal mm-hmm. while also focusing on your long-term goals. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, from an athlete perspective, it's never actually, you know, the Olympics, mm-hmm. it's the milestones that get you there it's it's the rungs on the ladder right mm-hmm. it's because they're also proof of your potency or, or of your ability and the fact that you have that you're in the right place because if you hit that milestone then you can hit the next one too because your confidence is getting stronger as well yeah yeah and yeah. exactly and then similar like with exercising and fitness too if mm-hmm. if you're goal is to be able to or to work out a certain number of days and lift a certain number of weights Mm -hmm. and then you change your goal to be run a certain amount of distance you've got the same you've got the disciplines in place yeah you're just making the adjustments yeah you're just you're changing you're changing the the um oh my gosh the delivery system truly Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that's, that's really it. It's so simple. And yet we overcomplicate it just like we overcomplicate everything in life. But um, I think the the biggest thing that you touched on is most all of us, we need to take time to sit down and think about what do we actually feel inside our bodies before our brain takes over when money is a conversation piece. Mm-hmm. Are we excited about it? Do we know how abundant it actually is? How mm-hmm. um, how much it can open up possibilities for us? Or do we have a sense of like shame around it because we don't have a lot or we've been taught to have shame around it? That view of, oh, well, you're the rich person. So lucky you. And it's so funny, like, there are times where I'm, you know, growing up, I, I, we had a great childhood. We were not rich, but that was always the language that was given us because my parents owned a grocery store. The perception of grocery stores being like 
you're making bank is, is really interesting, but it's yeah. just consistent necessity instead. However, I know for me, I, a lot of like my money mindset came from the fear of money because the perception of you're so rich, mm -hmm. how it made me feel when I had to feel like I had to defend my family and myself and be like, guys, we're not, we're just like you, but maybe it's that, you know, we were at that time, we were able to go on trips, but that's because the corporation paid for the trip. And that mm -hmm. was the only family trip was that one a year. There was no other trip for us. And it was because it was covered. And so, but that perspective or that understanding isn't there. So the shame that got connected to that perception from my peers to me and my family carried on for a long time as well, to a point where there was like this weird messed up jealousy and almost hatred for other people who were visibly better off, wealthier than I was. And instead of having the courage to ask them like, how, you know, how did you get to this point? How do you make it happen? Can you teach me anything? I would just instantly put up hard walls around them because it was this, like, they're untouchable in mm -hmm. comparison to me. So um, it's, I'm trying to find my point that I rambled away from, but it's, well, mindset's huge. It is huge. And so much of that is like the reminding ourselves that everybody's money story is so different mm -hmm. and we all have different values. Yeah. And there's consequences. There's every decision has a consequence and mm -hmm. has a result. And so um there like to remember that to even I try and teach my I'm trying to instill this in my kids as they get older, like that we just because somebody has a big house or somebody's going on holidays there's a lot more to the story than just those aspects. And that might be the, their family's priorities. Yeah. And that might be the where their family chooses to spend their money. Yeah. Where, um, and then our, then I try and walk through some of the things that we are doing and we have made a priority for our family so that it's like we have chosen to do skiing mm -hmm. every weekend. And so that takes up our time. Plus it takes up, it's a financial, it's takes up financial resources. So that is a decision we as a family have made. So it's make, it's just bringing into those conversations of saying, okay, that would you rather again? Totally. Is that continue? Do we want to continue to do that? Yeah. Or do we want to reallocate these funds? Yeah. And, and I think also you're, we are in a society right now where this word privilege mm. has become like so icky, so icky. Yeah. And it, it has, I subconsciously, I think it has resulted in a lot of people repelling money. I could see that. Yeah. Because they don't want, they don't want to be that person. They don't. And and that was something I had to battle with on in my own money story of, so one of my, our goals as a family is to, uh, we live in an old house and our goal is to one day rebuild. Yeah. And 
So that's our goal. And there's, there were a lot of times where I would almost find myself sabotaging that mm-hmm. because of like, what will people think of me? What will, will, like, will people think we're self-absorbed with this house or like all of those negative comments that are often viewed of people who have invested into something different than where other people would invest money yeah absolutely yeah and we need to get away from feeling and that's also from a place of scarcity right of saying like if if I win other people can't where that's not how money works we can all win together and we can all cheer each other on Mm -hmm. there's so much going around on around each one of us absolutely cheer each other on and say like this could what are your goals let me cheer you on to get to your goals yeah yeah and being open with that yeah so when you play would you rather with your kids do you after they make a choice do you discuss the financial end of it as well or do you just play would you rather and then are you you're waiting until they're a little bit older to then get into that money conversation so a bit of both. Okay. There's, um, there are times where like, so last year we did an amazing holiday to um, family holiday to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Loved it. My son, he's seven. He was six at the time and like um, was living his best life. Like oh. just so sad to go home. He's like, could be a professional holidayer just loved it I'll join him (laughs) (laughs) so there was talk of like okay this is we did throw around some numbers of this is how much this cost yeah this is if we want to do something like this again maybe that means that we don't we do smaller things over the next two years Mm -hmm. in order to be able to do this again or if we wanted so just so because numbers are important for kids to grasp as well. Okay. And I, I never really, I didn't grow up with numbers being discussed. Oh, okay. Um, it was just kind of vague topics where my husband grew up with numbers very much being discussed. Like he knew what his mortgage, his parents' mortgage payment was. He knew their, the price of their house. He like, so because it's, it brings just realism and kind of, um, so word I'm looking for, but it just makes it more natural. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's always there. Then it's just always there rather than all of a sudden you're 20 and it's a new conversation you have to navigate. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, and even for, so then as my kids get older, it becomes a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's because of, um, they're more than welcome the, to join in the conversation but sometimes my seven and five-year-old are just like don't yeah exactly (laughs) over their head yeah and so with my 10-year-old I'll say things like we're we're talking about cars right now Mm. and what what happens when you want to buy a new car and what are the sacrifices that we would need to make now to start saving to buy a new car or um, the different financing strategies that, and what the pros and cons of each are mm-hmm. and what it means. I'm a big, um, so before I go on to that talk, but, but what it means to trade in your vehicle and how that doesn't just like a one for one trade. No, 
so, <laughs> yeah. So what, what that looks like, because I think those are important conversations to, for kids to have as they look at peers as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Of, yeah. Like, that it's not, and as they're begin comparing or as they begin to be around more of these conversations, it's not just, we want this. So we go get it. Mm -hmm. it's, in our family, we put a lot of planning and conversation into purchases of, because we also are big advocates for buying things that we actually want. Yes. And that was a money story, a difference in my money story versus my husband's money story. When we got married, it was, he buys quality. Yeah. I bought quantity. Okay. And so it was this shift of how do we meet in the middle on this? Mm -hmm. And how do we see each other's perspective in a way we're also encouraging each other to be to grow for growth and so that we could grow as a family in our money story together yeah yeah and so there's been times where he'll say to me like why you if you buy that you're going to be back at the store buying a new one next year yeah and then you wasted your time over time, you'll waste more money. We've filled up the landfill. We've like, it's, it's not a good cycle. Yeah. And, and then there's times with him where I'll say, yeah, that is the best quality one, yeah. but do you actually need the, is this a place where you need the best quality? Yes. <laughs> and could we like, is there a balance here? Yeah. So, and both of those conversations come from out of a place of love and out of a place of teamwork yes, and out of a place of wanting what's best for both of us. Yeah. You're advocating for your shared future as you move forward too. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so, and I'm with my kids, I'm also a big advocate of um, taking care of our things so that we can resell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that when you're done with something, we don't just need to keep it. If it's no longer bringing you joy and something that you want to play with and want to take it, want taking up space in your room, yeah. we're going, let's sell it. Yeah. And yeah. I've, yeah, I've gone on some selling kicks in our house where my kids will like grab their favorite stuffies and be like, I still really like this one. Like this <laughs> one. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> don't take this <laughs> oh, oh man we've done that we've had that happen too <laughs> yeah. my daughter has like her five favorites and she's like these are a never <laughs> yes exactly like yeah. I get that I will let you have never and uh but the rest the ones you never touch do you need yeah. them no so huh. yeah no yeah. It all plays in and all balances out for sure. For my daughter, we have, uh, it's been amazing. I finally, cause she finally kind of understands things. We now, when we go to the mall or something and we rarely do, but when we do, I let her bring her money with her. Mm -hmm. And cause she's a super spender when it's mom and dad's wallet. Yes. But she is an incredible saver when it's her own money. Yes. And it's been really good because she's learned, like it used to be, uh, you know, can we get a treat? Can we get a treat? And I'm like, did you bring your money? Mm -hmm. 
like, then it's not a treat. Like, cause if I want to treat you, I will do it without you asking mm -hmm. or you're treating yourself because mm -hmm. when you're asking me to get you a treat, now it's a task for me. And that's not the same. It takes all the enjoyment out for me as your parent, because mm -hmm. I'm not treating you. I'm just answering to a terrorist in the end. Yeah. And so then she started bringing her own money and she's like, okay, well, I really want this, but I really want this too. I'm like, well, how much does each cost? She looks at it that way. And like, which one makes you happier when you look at it? She mm -hmm. looks at it that way. And then in the end, she walks away. And she's like, you know, I really don't need them. <laughs> so yes. I'm like, okay, you thought through it before just like impulsively getting something. And mm -hmm. that's what you need to learn is that like, we all have impulsive desires, but are they actually going to fill a need or serve a purpose for us? Probably not. So mm -hmm. for kids, uh, at least I have found that successful is be like, if you want to spend something or buy something, bring your own money. Yes. It's amazing how they hold on to that money for dear life when they yeah. make their own choice. Yeah. And it's, that's such a good strategy because it, it does it's important that we start teaching kids mindset stuff now yeah. and teaching them that if you really, in, if you really value something mm -hmm. and you have the money, then enjoy it, yeah. buy it. Yeah. But if you don't really value it and you don't have the money, then is it really a, a want? And I think even as adults, like there's, there's a statement that um, when you are buying something to ask yourself is, do I really want this? Yes. Is it a desire of my heart or am I getting this mm -hmm. because I'm trying to show, demonstrate something to others? Yeah. And where I'm trying to fill a need that others, that I think this will bring that other, that I'm lacking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. like, it's even the latest trend or whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. air fryers, all, cause so my daughter's in ringette, a lot of the mothers have air fryers and they love them and they think <laughs> they're amazing. And my husband, we were going through Costco and like the air fryer came out. I've been like, we don't need it. We know how to cook. I just don't feel comfortable with something being able to cook that fast and <laughs> so I kept putting it off going through Costco. Of course, there's one on sale. My husband buys it and I'm just like shaking my head. I'm like, we don't, we don't need it. And it takes up too much space and all this other stuff. Anyway, so he and my daughter are left to cook for themselves. They're like, perfect. We're going to try the air fryer and they do wings. And he was like, it was disgusting. And so it got packaged up and sent back. It was like, perfect. You realized yeah. that it actually was not that benefit that everyone said it was. Like, I don't, we don't need to fall into the marketing of everything either. And, exactly. and I'm like, and for Hadley, like my daughter, she needs to learn how to cook, mm -hmm. push buttons on a machine because cooking is a valuable life skill. It's yeah. a great way to save money. And it's a great way to learn how to budget as well, because if you can budget the grocery bill, then you could almost budget anything. Yeah, totally. And it's, and there's a mindset component in cooking food. Yeah. That, like when we make time for it, yeah. 
it can be life-giving. It's called soul food for a reason when it's cooked with heart and love and time put into it, right? Like it is life-giving and it is, it's one of the greatest connectors of society is food. Yeah. It's funny. I've had, I had the same conversation about air fryers this <laughs> over Christmas. <laughs> nice. and, yeah. And I, I, we don't have one and I feel kind of the same way. Like this yeah. is, and that is also a benefit of having a small house is like, yes. like I, I don't, or even if in your kitchen where you're like, you know what, that doesn't, I don't value that enough. Yeah. Make space for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a, a walk. It was an electric walk. And I've had that thing since I was 18 and moved out of the house. And it was, I, the, my first place I lived in had no kitchen and it was an electric walk and I did everything in it, boiled pierogies, noodles, cooked my meat, everything. That yeah. thing, like I've held on to it for, I don't even want to do the math, 20 some years <laughs> out of sentimental value. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you the last time I used it, but I held on to it because it was like my first kitchen. Yes. And it's finally this year is like, it's taking up space. I need to get rid of it. But I grew up also where if it still works, hold on to it because you can use it again, like in that uh, more so like fix it, reuse it, rebuild it, save it type concept. Of, mm-hmm. And like my dad had, he, he was a pack rat. He had everything. Mm-hmm. everything um out of you know the the belief that you're going to need it at some point but that one I didn't need anymore <laughs> so mm-hmm. that one went away it was like why buy something new just to replace the open shelf space that I just got too I don't need yes. it. so so yeah so let's move forward yeah. um <clears throat> let's talk about if you're open to it let's talk a little bit about the difference between hard money and soft money because we're kind of in this stage uh economically on a global global scale where this money concept of how we attain it is changing and how we can invest into it or acquire it is changing as well so hard money being minerals gold silver uh used to be shells and mm-hmm. soft money being the current oil backed dollar mm-hmm. so i think we're in a world there is a ton changing Mm -hmm. and when there's change there's opportunity yeah and it's easy to live in fear and to just be um have the paralysis by analysis where there's just so many options you can't you choose to do nothing Mm -hmm. and procrastination is often the result of that overwhelming feeling yeah and Um, so there's, there's so many opportunities and I, we're seeing the shift of people selling all of their soft money Mm. or not selling it, but exchanging all of their soft money in for hard money Mm -hmm. and are pulling all their cash out of the bank. Yeah. And I, I think we are in a world where diversification is key. Yeah. If we can build a money story that has a component of gold and silver, a component of cash in the bank, a component of cash at home, 
mm-hmm. and a component of investments and Bitcoin, depending on people's comfort level with Bitcoin. Yeah. That's and kind understanding. of understanding. Pardon? And understanding of Bitcoin. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very long game. Yes. And I personally, I've personally gotten burned by Bitcoin. Yeah. And um, because I tried to play the game, I don't. And I think there's so many factors in it. Um, I think there is potential value in it. I, um, Warren Buffett has a saying that don't invest. He will not invest in something that he doesn't understand. Which makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. And so now that is, that is the mentality I'm trying to take with Bitcoin is if I, I have holding a little bit of Ethereum, just because I did not sell that back when I got, um, when I, Bitcoin took me for a ride. Yeah. I, um, but I, I don't know. I, there's just so many things I don't understand about it. So Bitcoin is its own beast. (laughs) Gold and silver. I, I am a big believer Mm -hmm. that there is, um, there's opportunity there. Yeah. I'll stop you for a second and I'll use one example. Um, my husband, in the job that he does, oh, I must have hit it there. So he had a client that tried paying him in gold. Mm. My husband was like, no man, cash, like cash or check. Yeah. Like, come on, what am I going to do with gold? And it's a bill and it has one gram, a shaving of one gram of gold enclosed inside that bill. And so it feels like typical tender. And so at that time, I don't even know what the value was. This was a chunk of years ago, about November, I investigated what the cost of one gram was. It was roughly $98 Canadian. And then on the weekend I investigated and we're sitting at $120 for this one bill (laughs) of one gram of gold. So, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut in, but it's, it definitely has a worth to it. Yes. It's just going up too yes and and it's a gold and silver are a bit of a safety hedge right Mm -hmm. there um it's a way to protect against rising inflation it's a way to keep your purchasing power it's a it's basically a bet against the current against government yeah right which it's it's a way to diversify against government which if you're holding cash and gold and silver it's they're it they're diversifying each other mm-hmm. and so if you've got long term um if you've got cash just sitting around there's an opportunity to buy gold and silver with that cash and say you know what i'm just gonna sit with this yeah i can't it takes more mindset for me to go and cash it back into cash. So I've got the, the hedge around my behavior yeah. and just spending it. Uh, Plus if things change in the world and the banking system changes, I've got this insurance mm-hmm. and I, so there's, there is a lot of, and there's some people who, like the collector's coins and there's there's very cool coins out there yeah like very, um and there's lots of different op- different options that you can get um my approach with 
the gold and silver is more of the insurance policy. Yeah. And potential market growth. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there is, like, it's back in, I want to say late 1970s, early 1980s. Yeah. I believe the average household had 5% of their net worth in gold and silver. Yeah. And now there's 0.2% people like, so it's interesting how gold and silver have suddenly got this rap of being a conspiracy theory approach (laughs) (laughs) where they're like, there's so much, it goes back, they go back in history. Well, when it's still sitting as a topic on the stock markets at the end Mm -hmm. of every single day, I mean, it still holds value. Plus we've got the BRICS, um, I don't know, coalition, whatever you want to call it. They, their intended money is, will be backed by gold. Yeah. So you have half of the world's leading countries choosing gold to back the finances versus our current leading countries using oil backed money to mm-hmm. be backing their finances. But the hard part is it gives them permission to just print whatever and make up these fictitious amount of money that they don't have. Whereas yep. gold is gold. You can't make more yep. gold. And that's the interesting thing about gold. It held the government accountable. Any currency that's backed by gold is held accountable to mm-hmm. essentially the economy to run a good economy and run a good business a government is just like a business yep on a bigger term bigger um scheme, organization right? structure truly yeah, yeah exactly so if the the gold is their way of staying on budget and staying on task and mm-hmm. if they don't have that we've got the inflation numbers like we've got and they're just going to continue to print money because no government that isn't backed by gold Mm -hmm. wants to make the hard decision of reining costs in because that's very unpopular decision. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so there's, um, it's exciting to watch. Mm Mm-hmm gold and silver right now and like that I I remember as a kid watching again the news probably because it was the only tv that was allowed to watch yeah but uh, also back in the day when there were three channels um but like this the gold was maybe valued at 300 an ounce totally and now we're looking at close to three grand an ounce yeah so I mean that is not a conspiracy theory that is showing that there it's it have it is having a resurgence of value the question is for the people who are purchasing gold or silver how do you use it as your actual form of currency and what like what are you going to do chip a piece off and weigh it and then pay the store for your groceries with that little shaving or I think that part is where people struggle with adopting it or grasping onto it is because there's a lack of understanding of how it becomes the financial leverage in the name of how we view life. Like you said, we can't plan long-term of our day-to-day purchases versus it being a long-term investment for down the line. Mm -hmm. And 
gold and silver now is an acceptable exchange mm-hmm. of resource or of payment. Like it is, it legally you can go into a, you should be able to go into a store and pay with it. Yeah. It's very confusing and it's like, uh, but there's like the, your, with the dollar, like cash, even though yeah. stores are refusing to take it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So there's, um, so that is one of the reasons why I like having a few silver coins. Silver, we're not seeing as much not investment yet. growth in silver, mm-hmm. but I do like having some silver coins because right now they're valued about $25 to $30, I believe. Okay. And so it's a smaller exchange, mm-hmm. right? It's smaller currency value it's easier to um get change back for 25 dollars. yeah yeah and and then with gold there's the grams right which it like what you receive the is valued at a hundred dollars around hundred dollars 120 dollars now mm-hmm. so there's uh there's smaller denominations that you can receive yeah that would facilitate easier exchange okay okay right so that you don't have to and that's one of the conversations that i've had before is like how do we are we going to walk around with this gold brick and like <laughs> a grader and shave yeah. it off yeah. check and, out my bullion <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so there's um there's like they are there's an option if that's the mindset block that yeah. people are letting hold them back from seeing the opportunity, then I would really encourage them to, to move past that. Mm-hmm. And like, because when cat, so gold has been a means of exchange for ever, forever. Yeah. So they're, they would design, they could design gold coins. They could design or like um, different denominations of coins and mm-hmm. um, and there's so it's one of those details that is easy to get stuck in the mud yeah absolutely and it was sorry it almost uh looks like a way for people to excuse themselves out of learning more yes exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and I I think there's also the um, quality control of gold and silver of any precious metals, right? When you go to, so there's making sure that people are going to credible uh, sources to buy gold and silver Mm -hmm. and making sure that they're doing research on that and not just trusting any gold shop around. Yeah. That's the same as Bitcoin. Really ensuring that you're using a credible service as your Bitcoin source for purchasing and selling and what wallet you're using to protect your Bitcoin, all of those things. They, there's research required, but it's just the same as, I don't know how long ago, call it 50 years ago, uh, when GICs started cropping up, there was research required 
before yeah. people jumped on board for them. And now like banks spit out the word GIC all the time or TFSA. And, you know, they, they there's always a trend that is somewhere in the finance world as well. Um, yeah. But I would agree like gold and silver, bronzes even, they mm -hmm. are, they're not a fad. I mean, they're among the oldest currencies of the world but we need a better understanding of them too. And really a better understanding of their history as well. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a story um, of this, going back to the exchange way to exchange of this one individual who every month he would go in to a jewelry shop. Mm-hmm. And Buying jewelry. Yeah. And they, well, they no, they would buy the gold off of him. Oh, in because they wanted gold to make jewelry. Yes, and so thought isn't that like his retirement plan? He had saved gold for all his life, and wow. now in his retirement, this was his way of cashing in his retirement plan. Wow! And so there's so many options out there that when we first think of something, yeah, we look at all that oh we couldn't do it because of this we couldn't do it this wouldn't work yeah but like any change brings about opportunity and the money like what I said right at the beginning money can feel so daunting because there's can be so much noise yes but if there's something that you're interested in learning about like it just don't again don't, like there's the mountain of information but it just takes chipping away a little bit here and there yeah. and getting more comfortable getting comfortable with the terms mm -hmm. asking being willing to ask questions and engage in conversation about it yeah because even that how will it be exchanged on the other end is it like that could be a great question yeah in out of curiosity yeah Absolutely. So if people were wanting to learn more from you or work with you, um, what is it that you currently are offering that's accessible to your clients and how can they find you? So they can find me through Bread and Butter Wealth. My website's breadandbutterwealth.com and my Instagram, Bread and Butter Wealth, is where I'm most vocal on. I And then um, those are the two easiest way to, ways to get in touch with me. I'm offering a few different programs right now. One is what you mentioned earlier, the six weeks release to receive. Mm -hmm. And it walks, it's like a happy menu offering that walks through six weeks of different topics. So we talk about mindset. We talk about building out a cash flow plan. Talk about building your big picture dreams. Mm -hmm. And then how to use some of the, the tools to your advantage if they make sense in your plan. So looking at different investments and investment accounts, yeah. looking at insurance, kind of the safety hedges that every every money story should, you should at least ask, be asking what happens if. Yeah. So that you know, it's not out of fear, it's not out of, but it's what happens if this, this situation occurs, just like we do with our home insurance. Yeah. What happens if we are away and our basement floods? Mm -hmm. so that you know the answer to those questions before anything happens yeah. so kind of walking through that and walking through um just designing that money story so that um you're empowered to engage in your money story mm -hmm. yeah so that's my six, yeah 
It's my six week offering. And then I've broken down those into more in depth. So I've got what I call the foundation and that works through six, um, six calls. So usually about kind of eight to 10 week process, depending on timing. And that dives into cash flow, current, current cash flow behaviors mm-hmm. and where to, are your, um, spending habits aligning with your values? Yeah. Where are you spending? Because it's just how you've spent over yeah. the years. And so how do we design more intentional around those spending habits? Okay. And so that's the foundation. And then the, um, form is looking at building, building a dream, mm-hmm. getting people from the treadmill to the pathway. Cause okay. when we have it, when we have a dream, then we're actually moving forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we know where we're going. And those are, that makes those conversations with between husband and wife or between spouses so much easier Yeah, yeah. because it's no longer about what did you spend here? It's how are we getting to our goal? Mm-hmm. And is this, and it's just um, more accountability. Are, is this purchase getting us closer to our goal or further from our goal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no shame either way, but there's just awareness. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, huge. It's huge. Yeah. And then, um, so kind of helping clients build that out. And then the last program I have is called the future. And that's more just looking at clients investments and helping them invest in, I can be a bridge to some different investment strategies okay. for clients. So I do offer that through some of the companies that I partner with and then insurance. I can, um, I'm an insurance advisor, so I can help put insurance in place for clients such as life, critical illness or disability. Okay. But you are not a financial advisor, correct? No, just from, I have, yeah. So because I'm independent, mm. um, I cannot at this point use that term. So okay. I'm, I can be a bridge to financial resources. I can um, chat about different financial options, but I would not be making recommendations on mm-hmm. you should invest in this. I would help people define, I help people define their risk tolerance, like where, because every investment should help you control your money more. Yeah. You shouldn't feel controlled by the investment. So if you're losing sleep over that investment, it's not the right one, regardless of how much return you could potentially get. Right. I mean, number one reason why it takes a strong person to play the stock market. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, it's not worth it. And even all of the tools you have to always ask, like, is this, is what is the mental uh, risk on for me and what is the financial risk mm-hmm. to um, you can't have one without the other no not at all amazing so what is your biggest hope for people and their understanding of finances into the future I I hope that women and families become stronger in their finances. I, um, 
I think we've been trained to take a mentality. Well, this is just how my money is. Mm -hmm. This is just what I make. This is just what I spend. This is just how life is for me. Yeah. Where if that's not how it needs to be, there is power on both ends, power to make more, Mm -hmm. create more money and power to be more intentional so that it's not just how you spend money. It's how you spend money so that you can get to your goals so that you can live the life you really want. Yeah. And I like the lots of financial, there's lots of financial conversations out there where that $5 coffee is not going to get you to retirement. And no, it's not the five stopping the $5 coffee is not, but it's the mindset behavior change that that $5 coffee can bring you. Yeah. So my hope is that people start taking back control mm-hmm. and that families are stronger because of that. Yeah, definitely. And that they see that they begin to see that they can be on the same team versus versus the banking system. I right. yeah, that it's not the banking system being between them mediating it's them on a team working towards their goals. Yeah. And then honestly, then you're creating a generational shift as well, because then the children, if there's a healthy financial setup within the family, mm-hmm. the children are benefiting from it too, because they're learning it, they're witnessing it, they're able to take that forward into their life as well. And hopefully just passing that along into exactly. the future as, as we move forward. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it flows in like when people are confident about their money, they're more confident in their relationships They're more confident in how they do their job at work. They're, they more confident in how they face resistance that comes at life. Life is full of like everything, (laughs) everything, dodging all types of things. And our money story often feels the brunt of it. So if we can be in control and be like, feel solid in that. Yeah, Yeah, it can flow down to many generations and build out way stronger communities. Yeah, that's massive. That's so huge. So huge. And I remember I once hearing that money was designed to be appreciated. So we need to appreciate our money. Yes. I've never heard that before. Oh, no? No, that's so good. Yeah, because money appreciates. So why don't we appreciate it? Yeah, exactly. And I... And that's often like, this is a topic all on itself, but like when you look at your current debt, we often look at it with shame, but to look at it with gratitude, like, wow, that helped me get through a a phase where I was, I, where life was unknown. That helped me, that helped our family do this, that helped our family do that. And now I'm going to pay it back because out of thankfulness. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Rather than fearing it, Mm -hmm. gratitude towards it, because one way or another, it has assisted you through your life and Mm -hmm. it can assist so much more too moving forward. Yeah. Amazing. Erin, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. I've learned tons and I'm definitely going to be playing our clip on the gold and silver to get my husband to invest because I've been on him for a while and... (laughs) I think it's time. So uh, 
Yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave us with? No, thank you so much for having me on here. It was so fun. I'm so pumped for what you're building and I'm so excited and cheering you on. And yeah, so thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will uh, chat with you another time, I'm sure. Yes. All right.